fun to uh, celebrate Jess's baptism and to watch her story unfold here and to see so many uh, stories of transformation unfold. And we love to celebrate that. Um, in fact, I'm so excited about our uh, beach baptism. I got a friend here at the church that entered into a relationship with Jesus about nine months ago. And every time baptism comes around, he's like, no, no, not this month. No, I'm waiting to do it at the lake. And so we planned a whole service just for his baptism. <laughs> that you get to be a part of. And so uh, we expect you to join Joey in the water. See, I'm calling you out by name uh, uh, when we do that together. So, so excited for that. In fact, uh, that is a perfect picture. What we saw in Jess uh, this morning is a perfect picture for what we're looking at in our kind of final installment of our Wrestling God series. What does a new life and a new identity in God really look like? What happens when we've come to the end of our old ways and our old lives and it just doesn't work anymore? What does God do in that moment? And what is God inviting you into in this very moment right now? We are in the fifth and final week of our Wrestling God series where we've looked at one family over the course of three generations from Abraham to his son Isaac to his son Jacob. And we've looked at how they have wrestled their faith and their relationship with God out in real time and what we can learn about our relationship with God and how we work and wrestle our faith out with him and how he's inviting us into that kind of relationship. And so we're going to look at a story where we got the whole title for the series from, where Jacob literally is going to wrestle, physically wrestle with God in the story we're going to look at this weekend. And in the process is renamed and is given a new name and a new identity by God for him to live into with his life. As I was studying and preparing for our time here together this weekend and thinking about how powerful names are and the role that they play in our lives, I began to think about all the names that were given to me and names that were given to you. Now, each of us has a name that your parents gave you. Unless, of course, you're an artist that's changed your name to a symbol and you were formerly known as someone, you actually have a name. That's a 12-year-old joke, and it still works. You have a name, and, it's, and so that kind of goes with you wherever you go, but you don't just have the name that was given to you by your parents. Along the way, you picked up other names as well, nicknames that you picked up that others gave to you because they saw maybe characteristics in you, or your name was just too long, and they wanted to shorten it, or whatever it was. We all have a name, and then we probably have a couple nicknames. And so just to help us get to know each other a little bit more and to understand where we're going to be going in the text this morning, I'm going to actually have you turn to the person next to you. I want you to make sure that they know your name, tell them your name, and then share with them any nicknames that you were given growing up. Any nicknames. Now, if you're a spouse, don't share the nickname that your spouse calls you. That might not be appropriate for church. So just the nicknames you got when you were growing up. So turn to the person next to you. You have like 64 seconds. Share your name and a nickname you were given. Well... I'm not sure maybe what the nicknames were that you were given, or if you even had one growing up. I didn't really have any growing up. My name's Jared. There's not a lot of nicknames that come from that. People call me Jer, which is, you know, just shortening. And so what's interesting is when I was uh, 16, I got a job at uh, an up-and-coming company called Blockbuster Video, and I knew it would be there <laughs> for years to come. A lot of security in that job. And, uh, and so I had my name tag, and I was a CSR, which is, you know, it's lingo for uh, customer service representative. And, uh, and on it was my name, Jared. And the very first day I worked there, there's a woman that worked there that saw my name. And she goes, hey, Jer Bear, and started calling me Jer Bear for the entire time I worked there, which was not a nickname I wanted. And so my time at Blockbuster was, was very, 
very short. Uh, and so I didn't really have a lot of nicknames. Uh, my wife really didn't either growing up, but we've kind of gone overboard with our kids in giving them nicknames. In fact, our daughter, her name is actually Genevieve Grace. She's named after my grandmother, Genevieve. And Grace, obviously, is a concept that we've built our lives around. And so we named her Genevieve Grace. But we've never really called her that. We've always called her Gigi. And that really is her name. G, because you take the G and then the G and you put them together. It's Gigi. And we came up with that one. And... That's all we call her is, is, is Gigi. I mean, and she, if you've met our daughter, she embodies all that it means to be Gigi. She's fully a Gigi. But that's not the only name we call her. We have a lot of nicknames, like hundreds of nicknames for our kids. And so Gigi, we've always called her the bug. From the very, like early on, we just called her Ladybug, and then we just call her the bug. In fact, I probably call her Bug as much as I call her Gigi. We have all kinds of nicknames. We call her Shar Shar Shui, which means nothing to you. And I couldn't even give you the context of where that came from, but it's one of her nicknames that we say to her. Our son Elijah, his name isn't that easy to make nicknames of, so we've always called him Lige or Lige. But when we were early on, like when he was three years old, we were wrestling a lot. We still wrestle a lot. And he's like, Dad, I want a name. We should name ourselves. And so I came up with the name for myself. My wrestling name is Rad Dad. <laughs> true story. And, and, and true. And so I, I go by the wrestling name Rad Dad. And he came up with it three years old. Super Spider Stinky Pants. That's, <laughs> that name evokes fear when he steps in the ring. Super Spider Stinky Pants. And so that's his like, little nickname, wrestling name. We all have various sort of maybe nicknames that you picked up along the way. And maybe if you didn't have a nickname, I bet all of us were uh, given along the way as we were growing up uh, parts of our identity that were called out by others, that people noticed in us, and they began to know us as those things. And so they may not have ever like called you that by name, but maybe early on you heard that you're so smart And so people began to think of you as you're the smart one. You're so smart. You're so smart. And it affected the way you looked at yourself and the way you kind of found your place in school. You were the smart one. And maybe they called you that directly, but even if they didn't, that's part of your identity that they saw and called out in you. Maybe you were a great athlete. And so early on, that was called, you're such a great athlete. You're so great at sports. And so that became a part of who you were. In fact, in many ways, that may have even defined you. In fact, so much so that it determined choices that you made not only throughout high school, but also the college that you may have chosen was about this part of your identity that someone early on named and spoke into. Maybe someone saw early on in you that you're very driven or successful. And so they call that out in you, and you, that's how you looked at yourself. It's through those lenses. I'm a driven, successful person. I kind of have to make these choices to make sure that I continue this trajectory that I'm on. I, at an early age, someone told me I was funny. And so they say, oh, you're so funny. And that's the perception that I got of myself. Oh yeah, I'm the funny guy. So I got to kind of keep that going. And that's kind of how I saw myself. There's nothing wrong with that at all. Just sort of, there was the lens at which I looked at myself and I found my place in the world. They're not always though positive names that are given to us. Maybe because of the way you looked as a kid, people gave you a name. A name that still has stuck with you. In fact, when you look in the mirror, whatever that mean name was, you still hear it and see it. Maybe at, at, at some point in your life, someone told you, oh, you're just you're so stupid. You're so dumb. And they meant it as a cruel joke as a kid, but it has stayed with you. And in a very real way, they named you. So much so that you believed that that's part of who you were. 
Maybe you heard someone tell you, you know, you're just worthless, useless. You're in the way. And maybe you got caught up in the situation in your home where you had parents that did not live up to their obligation as parents and you were nothing more than a burden to them. And so you began to believe early on by the words and names that were spoken to you that that's who you were. That that's who you were. See, we we all have, whether they're directly given to us or not, names, parts of our identity that we believe to be true. So much so, in fact, that we kind of can live our lives in the direction of those names, fulfilling even the names that were given to us early on. Those names that were given to you by others. Again, you didn't get to pick them. They were given to you, just like nicknames, just like the name your parents gave you. They were given to you, but at some point you accepted them and began to believe that they were real and true and that defined who you were. And so it defined how you saw yourself. And most likely for the sake of our conversation here in a church, it defined how you saw God. And even deeper, it defined how you assumed God saw you that that's what God thought of when he thought of you. Were the names given to you, positive or negative, throughout your life? The the, the reality is, for every single one of us, especially as we're going to see in this text this morning, there are names given to you. There are names given to you. Name that you have on your birth certificate, driver's license, nicknames, or even those other names that we just talked about. And then there are names that you live into. There are names given to you that are kind of outside of your control and people kind of throw upon you and you maybe have accepted them, but then there are names that you literally live into that give a greater purpose and perspective and vision for your life. And I believe that God has a name, a way, a a, a way of looking at you, the way that God sees you that is a name worth living into worth basing your life in and around. And that's exactly what happens in the story that we're looking at this weekend. We're looking at a character named Jacob. Is the grandson of Abraham, who we talked about a couple weeks ago, the son of Isaac, who we looked at in the last couple weeks. And Jacob, his name is really, really, really interesting because the name he was given literally translates to deceiver, That's the name he was given. When he came out of the womb, his parents were like, we'll name this one Esau and this one Deceiver. It's a... Now, it doesn't, it doesn't mean that in our culture today. Like, for anyone named Jake or Jacob, you're all right. You're okay. But, but in this day, they would, they would speak a name into someone that would many ways come to define who they were. And that was the name given to Jacob at birth. Deceiver. I don't think it was on the top 100 baby names for that year. But what's so interesting was this name given to Jacob became a part of the destiny, the life that he would lead. In fact, Jeannie taught about that last week. If you missed it, I would highly encourage you to go back and listen to last week's message where we saw in the life of Jacob how he deceived his brother and stole his birthright from his older twin brother, the brother that was born literally seconds before him. In fact, the text says that as his brother Esau was coming out of the womb, Jacob grabbed his ankle to try and pull himself out first. Now, I don't know, you know, God is giving us that truth. I don't think they had like x-rays to see in there to see that happening, but it was a part of his identity from the very beginning. Was he grabbed, he came out of the womb, literally holding onto his brother's ankle, trying to pull himself out first. And then later, deceived his brother to steal the birthright that was always given to the firstborn in that culture. And then later, deceived 
his father to steal the blessing from him, to steal God's blessing from him that had been given to him by his father Abraham. In fact, right after the moment of Jacob living out that name and deceiving his father and stealing the blessing that ultimately was going to be given to Esau, there's an interesting little note about how powerful the names are that are given to us. And you don't have to turn there. We're going to get to our main text here in a second. But look at what Genesis 27, 35 says. As Isaac and Esau are now realizing that Jacob has once again deceived them. Isaac says this. Isaac said, your brother came. What's the word? Okay, it's, yeah, it's on the screen. So I'm, we're going to try it again. Your brother came deceitfully and took your blessing. And Esau said, huh, isn't he rightly named Jacob? This is the second time he's taken advantage of me. He took my birthright and now he's taken my blessing. Jacob has lived up to the name deceiver. But as we're going to see here in a second, God has a new name for him to live into. So if you would, please grab a Bible and, and let's turn to uh, Genesis 32. If you brought yours, you have it on your phone, fantastic. If not, listen, we have a Bible for you in the seat back or right underneath your seat. You can grab one. We kind of want everyone playing out of the same playbook here. We believe that this is transformational, timeless truth for our lives. And so that's why we teach from God's word every week here at Soul City Church. So grab a blue Bible and we're turning all together uh, to Genesis 32. In the blue Bible, it's page 24, page 24. Grab a pen because we're going to be circling some stuff and writing a few things down in a moment. So there should be a pen there provided for you. But let's turn there together. And let me give you a little context, bringing us up to speed in Genesis 32 as to what Jacob has been up to since that moment of deceiving his father and his brother and attempting to steal the blessing from God. Jacob, after doing so, uh, literally was on the run from his brother Esau. The text tells us, as Jeannie taught last week, that Jacob's twin brother Esau was a kind of burly outdoorsman. And at one point in his birth, the text tells us, as Jeannie pointed out last week, that he was covered in red hair. And so she brilliantly pointed out he was like a buff Elmo. So just keep that (laughs) image in your brain. It's a scary thought to think about because Esau is furious at his brother Jacob and is out for blood. So Jacob runs for his life and flees to his uncle's land, his uncle Laban. We were introduced to Laban a couple weeks ago. So he runs to live in in, in Laban's land, and so he's sort of over there running from his brother Esau, hiding out for fear of his life. And when he gets there, he, he instantly sees and falls in love with Laban's daughter, Rachel. It's kind of a distant, distant cousin. And so Tally did it in the, that culture back then. And so he falls in love with Rachel and says to Laban, I want to marry your daughter. And he says, that's great. You can do that. But first you have to work seven years for free for me. And Jacob says, done. He was that in love in that much of an instant with her that he does it. Now, interesting twist we're not going to go into. On the wedding night, Jacob the deceiver is ready to receive Rachel and Laban deceives him. And instead of sending Rachel into the wedding tent, he sends his oldest daughter, who was supposed to be given away and married first, who was supposed to be chosen, sends his older daughter Leah in. So interesting little point of tension there. Jacob the deceiver is now deceived and married to a different woman than he thought he was going to marry. 
And so he says to Laban, okay, whatever I have to do to win Rachel. So Laban says, fine, work seven more years for free for me. And the text says that it was like a day to him because he was so in love with Rachel. So as you can see, a little family drama between Leah and Rachel. (laughs) This is the stuff of reality shows. And so here we have two sisters married to the same man at odds with each other and two brothers at odds with each other. And so Jacob has now been deceived by his uncle, but learns to live in the land of his uncle and prospers really, really well. Does really, really well for himself. And he begins to realize that he's worn out his welcome in Laban land. And in fact, Laban is beginning to talk and there's whispers that Laban's gonna come and take back all the wealth that Jacob has earned. Take back his daughters and his grandchildren and and essentially kick Jacob out. So Jacob, in the middle of the night, gathers his whole family together and flees for his life and runs from Laban. Now just do the math here. He got to Laban because he was running from Esau. And now he's running from his uncle Laban. And as he's leaving, he gets word from one of his men that Esau has found him and is coming to get him. So it's this incredibly rich, tense moment where Jacob is now has his uncle on his heels and his brother coming for him out for blood in his mind. And so he gets to this point where he was just exhausted from the life that he tried to manage for himself. And that's where our story picks up is at the end of Jacob. So Genesis 32, verse 22, that night, Jacob, after running from Laban, hearing that Esau is coming for him, that night Jacob got up and took his two wives and his servants and his sons, and he crossed over the ford of Jabbok. So he crosses over this river, kind of entering into a different land. And then he had sent them across the stream. He sent his, his, all his family, and it says, very interesting, he sent over all his possessions. Now, what does that imply here? What's going on here is he knows that Esau is camped out to get him about like, like he's within firing range, basically, of Esau. And so what he says is, look, I'll give him whatever I have. He can take the life I've made for myself. Take it all. Have all my possessions. In an attempt to sort of buy off or bribe his brother from the blood that he knows he's out for. So he sends everything over across the river and chooses to stay back by himself, totally vulnerable, with nothing now, totally alone. So this is what's really interesting. Verse 24. So Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled him till daybreak. Pause. What? <laughs> Wait, what? The Bible's like, oh, you know, you know how guys do. They just wrestle each other <laughs> all night. What? All right. So here's what's happening. It's a very, very interesting moment. Jacob sends everything over. He's back by himself all alone in the middle of the night. And as soon as he gets back, someone literally puts him in a figure four leg lock and has like got him and is fully wrestling him. Literally, like like literally wrestling him. So imagine if you're Jacob trying to think through who this might be because it could be any number of people. This could be Esau. And maybe he's come. And is this it? After I sent everything over, he's come to kill me. This is what it all comes down to. All of my years of deceiving and running have led me here. It could be one of Laban's men. Jacob and Laban had managed to work out a temporary truce, but Laban had deceived Jacob before. 
And so maybe Laban knew once he kind of sent the, his daughters and all the grandkids and all his possessions over, Laban sent one of his goons to come and, and finally end Jacob's life. And who knows with where Jacob was at. He was an old man at this point. Maybe he just wanted it all to end. He is at the end of his life. And here he is wrestling for his life with, as we, we come to find out, the man here is no ordinary person. It's an angel sent by God. In fact, many biblical scholars believe that this is not just an ordinary angel, but is a Christ figure appearing thousands of years before Jesus would be born. In fact, through the very lineage that Jesus would come from, wrestling with Jacob literally all through the night. So it says, when the man saw, this angel saw that he could not overpower Jacob, this is really interesting. He touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. So it's very interesting. Jacob is not going down without a fight. He doesn't even know fully what he's wrestling for, but he's wrestling for his life at this point. And what's really fascinating to me is, you know, all this person, this angel has to do is just touch his hip and boom, his hip is wrecked, is wrenched. In fact, for the rest of his life, the text tells us, he walked with a limp because of this very moment. Always a reminder of what was happening in this very powerful moment. My favorite author, Frederick Buechner, says that in this specific moment in the life of Jacob, he was outweighed, outmatched, and outwrestled, but for some reason was not overpowered. That God continued to wrestle with Jacob for much deeper reasons than Jacob was even aware of. And when the time was right, one touch and he was overpowered. All this angel had to do was touch his hip and the match was over. But look at this, verse 26. The angel, the man said, okay, Jacob, let me go for it's daybreak. You, you've wrestled through this dark night of your soul. It's daybreak, let me go. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you what? Bless me. Now, isn't this interesting? Here is Jacob the deceiver who stole the birthright from his brother, stole the blessing of God from his father. Now, it could be very much the end of his life saying, no, nope, I'm not going to let go. Not until you bless me. Not until you bless me. The tenacity in this guy. (laughs) I will not go until I have been blessed. And now look at how this angel, this representation of God, speaks into that request from Jacob. Look at verse 27. The man asked him, what is your name? Now, this is a much deeper question than just, you know, we haven't been acquainted with each other yet. We've been wrestling all night. I forgot to get your name. (laughs) It's much deeper than that. Because what this angel of God is doing is speaking into the core issue. Notice, he, he doesn't ask Jacob, how did you get here? He doesn't ask Jacob, what have you done? He says, who are you? Who are you, Jacob? Who are you? This is the the deep and probing heart of God speaking directly into our heart. Who are you, really? Who are you? I know the names given to you. I know the names that you've attached to yourself. But God is saying, who are you? Are you? What is your name? Do you even know who you are? Jacob answers simply, Jacob. Now look at this, verse 28. The man said, no. No. No, your name will no longer be Jacob, deceiver. 
but your name will be Israel, which means you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. This literal wrestling match was a figurative, metaphorical representation of the life of Jacob, one who struggles and wrestles with God, but would not let go, no matter what, would not let go. And in fact, this one name given to Jacob, Israel, would become the name of a people, and one day the name of a nation, who would have in their own story a great wrestling and struggling with God throughout the course of their history. And here we see it all in this moment. No, you have a new name. A name not just given to you, but a name for you to live into. You have been renamed by God. You are no longer deceiver, but you are one who wrestles with God and does not let go, does not give in, and does not give up. And because of that, you will be blessed. Verse 29, Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? And what's implied here is, don't you know who I am? Don't you know what this is about? Don't you see what's going on here? Then he blessed him right there. So Jacob called this place Peniel, which means literally, I saw God face to face and yet my life was spared. I literally wrestled God and lived to tell about it. And in the process, was given a new name. And this is what God does when we decide to get in the ring with him and to work our relationship out with him, to wrestle it out, if you will, with God in real time. That God not only blesses our lives, which he has promised he would do and which he already has done and will always do, continue to bless your life. But what God does here in this moment, I believe what he wants to do for each of our lives is to rename you, to reawaken you to the reality of who you actually are. That there's more to you than who you have just believed yourself to be. That God sees you and knows you and has a much deeper identity and plan and purpose for your life than whatever it is that you've settled for. God loves to rename people and in so doing, reveal who they actually truly are in him. He has a habit of doing it actually throughout the Bible. At the beginning of this series, we looked at Abraham and Sarah. That's not where their names started. They were Abram and Sarai and God renamed them and gave them a bigger picture and purpose for their lives. Later on, Jesus would continue this tradition when he would meet a disciple of his, was about to become a disciple of his. His name is Simon. And after Simon had been following Jesus for a while and Jesus saw into the truth of who Simon is, he said, Simon, your name is no longer Simon. Your name is Peter because you are a rock upon which I'm gonna build my church. In fact, two other disciples of Jesus, when they began to follow Jesus and he saw who they really were and saw into them, their names were James and John. He said, no, 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 your names aren't James and John anymore. And he literally nicknamed them the Sons of Thunder. What a great wrestling name, the Sons of Thunder. That's exactly what Jesus named them because they had authority in this world. They had power in this world because of God. And Jesus says, this is who you are and how you need to see yourself. The apostle Paul didn't start out as Paul, he started out as Saul. 
And when he had his transformational moment with Jesus and his whole life was turned upside down and began the process of a life being transformed by God, he said, you have a new name and a new identity. You are no longer Saul. That is the old life. You are now Paul. God literally throughout the Bible renames people to remind them and reveal to them who they truly are in him. And one of the things you see at work again and again and again and the people that God renames and the people that God reveals their true identity to and who they really are in him is this. Simply, when God renames whatever it is that he renames, it never remains the same. It's like God literally puts a stake in the ground and says, this is your new name. And what God renames never remains the same, meaning that there is an old life and a new life. It's exactly what we celebrated in the waters of baptism this morning. Jess is still Jess, and that's not her name, and no one's legally changing her name. But she is a daughter of the king. She has now a new identity and a new purpose in God. And when God changes and transforms a life, it is not meant to go back to the old names, the old ways. There's no life there. There is new life in him. What God renames never remains the same. And that is true for you and for me, for any person that enters into a relationship with Jesus. You are given a new identity. In fact, the the Bible says that you are like a new creation, that the old has gone and the new has come. You have a new name, if you will, in Jesus, a new purpose a new identity, which is ultimately your true identity. And so the question is, for every one of us, what name are you going to live into? What name are you going to live into? You know, all of us have names given to us, but God has an identity for you to live into, a purpose to live into. So what name are you going to live into? Is it going to be those old things that kind of defined you, that were given to you early on? Are you going to kind of continue to live into the identity, the persona of the people pleaser? Because, you know, that's worked for you so far and that's kind of what you think people expect of you. And so you're going to just kind of have to keep on doing that and you have to keep the plate spinning for people because that's kind of what got you here. And you can continue to live into that name or you can live into the true name that God has for you, lover of people, not people pleaser. Someone who loves others like they love themselves. Are you going to live into that, that old name of hopeless where you just feel like, man, it just, it just doesn't seem to be working out for me and no matter how hard I try, the worse it gets. And so you've adopted the name hopeless. You may not even realize it, but you carry it around with you everywhere you go. Are you going to live into that name Or are you going to live into the name that God has for you, full of hope, full of hope, that even when my circumstances around me fall apart, I can still have hope in the middle of it? Are you going to live into that old name of divorce, and that's a part of your story, and you look at that and go, man, I know that I had a part to play, and is that going to stay with me, that divorce, that relational breakup, that relational breakdown, is that going to define me for the rest of my life, or is there a deeper identity that I can have in God as someone who's been restored and redeemed and renewed 
And while that wound, like Jacob's, is still there, and I may carry it with me the rest of my life, I can have a new identity where I'm no longer, not just defined, but confined by that old name anymore. Are you going to continue to, to live into the name of addiction? Where you've worked so hard and for so long to try and manage this thing, and it's ruining your life, tearing you apart. Is that the name that you want to live into? And I know you don't. There is a new name for you. It's courage, it's strength. It's freedom and it's forgiveness and it's found in God. What name are you going to live into? I'm going to invite the the band to come up right now because I think it's important for us to reflect on this and then respond to God in this. I think this is really important stuff because Jacob could have continued to live into his name as deceiver or he can receive the name that God had for him, which is Israel, this new identity, this new purpose for his life. You know, if you were to ask me 10 years ago, 15 years ago, what my name was, you know, I would have told you Jared, obviously, Jared Bear, if you were close to me. <laughs> but if you were to ask me, like the angel asked Jacob, no, who are you really? And ultimately, how do you think God thinks of you? I would have told you, right, honestly. I, I'm, I'm God's employee. Like, I'm someone who God expects to do all the right things for him. I'm someone who does really good things for God in, in an attempt to try and get him to do good things for me. I'm someone who thinks that my sole purpose and value to God is what I can do for God. And so if you were to get me to be really honest and ask me that question, no, who are you really? What's your name? I would have said, my name is employee. And I, I don't know. I don't know if God really loves me if I'm not really doing anything for him, to be honest. And like Jacob, I got to a point where that, that just didn't work anymore. It, it was exhausting. And here I was trying to help people have life and freedom in Christ that I didn't myself know and experience. And so through the help of some friends and spiritual mentors and a lot of spiritual counseling, I was able to come to the understanding that that's not my true name. That's something I picked up for myself along the way. That's not how God sees me. My name in him is actually beloved. One who is loved by God. Loved by God, knowing full well my capacity and my tendency towards sin and brokenness. Loved by God no matter how much I do for him or not. Loved by God, regardless of whether or not I feel like I've been effective for God with my life. I'm loved by God because he's God and he loves me. And because of who he is, I get to be who I am in him. Loved by him. That's a completely new name. And it's the one that I need to live out of every day. Because I find my tendencies, I find my way of wanting to go back to that old name, those old ways. But I believe what God has renamed, he never wants to go back to those old ways. It never remains the same. So what name are you going to live into? What name are you going to accept that God has for you? What part of your identity needs to be revealed by God so that you can live it out with your life? like Jacob did when he became Israel.
So in your seat backs, there should be a little name tag. I'm going to ask everyone to grab one of those right now. Maybe it's in the seat in front of you, but it should be in your seat back. Grab a pen if you haven't already done so. We're going to spend a few moments reflecting and accepting the parts of who we are, our identity that God has already named, has already given to you, that are fully available to anyone, anyone in relationship with him. And so I'm going to walk through just a few. And while I'm talking, you may want to jot these down and write them down, just like I had to with the name Beloved. I need to be reminded of this. So maybe you need to write one or two or ten of these down as I go through them because you maybe have thought that all you were was what you were called or what you believed to be true about your life up to this point. But I hope that these realities of who you are in Christ will come through and transform not only who you are, but how you live. Maybe the name that you need to write down on this name tag is just that, beloved, loved by God. Loved by God. And for whatever reason, your life, like Jacob, you are all, you've been on the run from God. Trying to run from your past or run from your mistakes or run from a God you thought was out to get you. And the name that you need to write down is, no, I know that I'm actually loved by God. And when I accept that as my identity, it changes the way that I go about having a relationship with him and with others. I don't have to try and get from him or get from others what he's already fully offered to me, which is his love, his perfect and pure, unconditional love. Maybe what you need to write down on your name tag is child of God. I am a child of God. And, you know, I'm not sure how adulthood has come to you. For some, it comes really easy. For some, it comes really hard. And you may have worked really hard to get to where you're at as an adult, and you've forgotten that God actually is inviting you into a relationship with childlike faith that recognizes God as your father, who's adopted you into his family, who's literally brought you into his family and given you a new purpose and a new family, a new place in this world. So you need to write down child of God. Maybe you need to write down the word chosen. Chosen. That God actually chooses to have relationship with you. And, and maybe in your life that's not come easy for you. You have felt overlooked. You have felt neglected. You've been rejected. And you've begun to believe that that's because of who you are. And that must be what God thinks of you. Not true. You're chosen by God. Chosen. The creator of the universe chooses to be in relationship with you. Maybe you need to write down the word forgiven. Forgiven. Because there's things, that you, there's things you've done in your past. There's sins that you've committed, wrongs that you've done, dead ends, walls that you've crashed your life into. And maybe you even ask God for forgiveness for those things in the past, and he has forgiven you, but for whatever reason, you keep carrying them around with you and attempting to pay off your debt to God, a debt you could never pay, a debt he already paid for you through Jesus. And so you need to remember that you are forgiven. That's a part of who you are. And that forgiveness is always available to you through Jesus. Maybe you need to write down the word free. Free. Because you've believed that these addictions define you. They've consumed the better part of your life. 
But the reality of who you are in Christ is you are actually free. Free. Even in the midst of temptation and trial, you can actually be free in him. You no longer have to be bound to those things anymore. Maybe you need to write down the word purpose. Purpose. You need to be reminded that in God, you actually have a place and a purpose in this world, that you don't have to sort of wander through this world reacting to life as it comes to you. And if I may be so bold, wasting your life while wandering through it, that God actually has a purpose for you, for your life, a place for you in this world. And he's ready for you to step in and live into that. Maybe you need to write down the word light on your name tag. Light. That in fact, God's love literally illuminates the world around you through you. And for whatever reason, at work or at home or with your friends, that light sort of gets diminished and you need to be reminded, no, 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 no. God is changing and transforming your life. And that can be out on display for all to see. I'm not sure what the name is that you need to write down, but I thought it would be important for us to take a moment and write one or two of those down. Write them down and put them wherever you need to put them. I need to keep mine right over my heart. Maybe you need to put yours there too or put it on a Bible that you have that's yours or a place in your purse, your wallet. You need to put that thing to remind you who you really are. I just want to give the next minute or so for us to take a moment and actually respond to God and write down the truth of who we really are in him to allow ourselves to be renamed by him in this moment. So let's just take a moment to do that and then I'll come back and pray for us and we'll respond and worship together. keep writing as I'm talking. Keep listening to God even as I'm speaking. I'm not sure what it is that you wrote down, but how cool would it be to walk out of this place today and see a bunch of people wearing out, living out, living into the names, the identity that God actually has for you. To see yourself as God sees you. How might that change how you live in this world? Our hope and our prayer is that you would do just that this week, that you would not settle for the life that's gotten you here, but to step into, to live into the life that God has for you in relationship with him and to discover more fully who exactly you are in him. We're gonna have a chance to live out a part of who we really are, who we're meant to be in God in this next moment. It's something that we do regularly here at Soul City Church. It's where we respond to God's goodness by giving back to him. Part of the identity for those who are in relationship with God, part of our identity is we are people who are actually set free to be generous, to be grateful, 
to God. And when we recognize that it's by God's good hand that we have all that we need in our lives, it should stir up gratitude and a response of generosity back to God. And so we do that as part of our worship every week. Many folks in our church give online, and we're so grateful for that faithful gift. But this is a part of our worship. It's a chance for us to live into the life God has for us and say, God, I want to give back to you as you have so richly given to me. So we're going to receive our offering. And as we do the baptism cards that you filled out earlier, you can fill that out if you haven't done so now and drop that in there. And we're going to sing a few songs that we wanted to be clear, declare that are true about who God is. But I think many times when I'm at least singing these songs, they're as much to God as they are to me. I need to be reminded of these truths of who God is. Because when I realize who he really is, I begin to see who I really am in him. So let me pray for us and we'll respond to God by giving and, and singing together right now. God, thank you so much for who you are and that you are actually here, that you are good, God, that you are loving, God, that you are forgiving, God, that you are full of peace and hope and freedom. And we want desperately to find out who we are in you. And so I pray that you'd continue to speak to us as we even give and, and, and give these words to you that you would continue to speak into who we are and you give us a picture, God, of what this life with you really looks like. Help us to see ourselves as renamed by you and to never, ever, ever go back to those old ways or those old names again, but to find our identity fully in you. Thank you, God, that you've invited every one of us into that this morning. We pray that we would accept it and step into it this morning. It's in your name that we pray. In your name. In your name that we pray. Amen.